are in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, right now at 106, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Pop in and see them. They're waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Now, as many people have heard, in the city of Providence, they are implementing and they're extending uh, this whole business regarding um, the um, income. And Mayor Lorza had the press briefing yesterday with the city extending this uh, income for people, which is really reparations. And I started to play some of it, and people said they wanted to hear a little bit more of it. So I want you to... I want to play a little bit of it because it's, it's kind of insightful um, of how this works. In, and I think just the attitude of some of the individuals that are uh, getting the money from it. So I thought that was the most interesting. So, again, this is um, they live streamed it. And I want you to listen. These are some of the individuals and there's different organizations that are behind it and some of the organizations behind it. Um, I think, you know, the people have the right idea, but I think when you listen to some of the individuals getting these were this reparations money, I think that was the most insightful. So here we go. Folks, again, these are kind of lottery winners. My name is Brandy. I'm a Providence resident. I've been a Providence resident for many years. Um, I've been homeless in Providence for many years. Income, and because of the mayor's guaranteed income, I've been able to obtain housing. I'm already in my new apartment, and it was hard for a very long time. And for them to be able to take percentage out of something so I could be housed was a blessing. And it was a long time coming, and it was a blessing. And I thank you so much for having this idea, for going forward and seeing what other mayors were doing. And it just, it makes sense. It made sense to, cause it's not just about the money. It's about what comes after that. You know, now I can kind of change my future around and make different decisions and go different directions. And, you know, it wouldn't be possible without this program. And I'm very grateful to um, be a part of it. And. I'm standing here because I'm grateful and I always will be. And now it's time maybe for me to start giving back myself, you know. And so, that's it. Thank you. Now, again, that all sounds very, very nice. Don't get me wrong, folks. Not trying to be mean here. Can I just ask her a question? Can I ask you to just, uh, um, Brendan, can you tell us that you mentioned planning for the future? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that, about just like how your sense of the future has changed? Um, well, you know, I've always wanted to, like, work with people that have worked with me, you know, in group homes or shelters or as a case manager or caseworker or outreach or something. And 
this has actually, ever since this happened, it kind of brought it to light. It kind of made me, like, I just stood there and told PJ, wow, I feel important. You know what I mean? And I haven't felt that way in a very, very long time. And, you know, the, the extra six months is a blessing as well. But to me, it just gives me a little See, the problem is the money's never going to go away. You know, and... It's never going to go away. So. I'm definitely going to be uh, standing in somebody's shoes one day. All right. <laughs> Once again, these are people who are extending. That's great. I'm waiting to see that. Awarding and giving these okay, people the money. Okay, and so next we have Letitia Hall, who's also a participant and also very willing to share her story. Letitia. Hi, my name is Letitia Hall. Hi, my name is Letitia Hall, also a Providence resident. Um... I don't even know where to stop. But first of all, when I got that phone call, I was happy. I ain't gonna lie, I was really happy. And the person that gave me the phone call, Prada Jay, she was happy for me. She was like, I'm happy with you. Like, cause I've been through so much. Ain't gonna sit here and ram, but in and out of prison all my life since I was 15 to 31. Finally turned it around for my children, but I had to do it for myself first. And um, I was working on the books. And more you work, the more they take. I get it. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, I was like, this is too much. And trying to get my 16-year-old daughter back. I got TPR 16 years ago. Um, as of August 9th, 2022, I got my child back. But I say this. I say this to say that. Because when I had signed up to get her back two and a half years ago, no income because I'm her biological mother. No income. No income from the state. My child that you was given somebody else already income to make sure she was good and had everything she had. Now you're giving her back to her recovering mother. That don't have nothing. When I got that call, that was the best call of my life. Like, I couldn't believe it. I kept on saying, you sure you can't give it to no one else? Remember that call? I'm like, you sure that's for me? And then when I was telling everybody around my residents and my family and everybody, they're like, you, I know me. That man up there and these people behind me that I met today, thank you very much. But nothing for nothing, it has impacted. My family is like, we're happy. And guess what? We got our money today. When I leave here, we're going to go shopping again. But at the end of the day, I got my license May 25th. Finally, at 41 years old, I didn't give up. It's like a blessing. When they even told me I had to sign up and get her back and no income, they can't give me nothing because I'm her biological mother. I still took that task on because when you had that baby, it was no menu. And 16 years ago, I lost her, but I never gave up. And because of this program, I didn't have to give up the last 10 months I've been in this program. And honestly, I've been like volunteering here, there, doing things, you know, campaign and stuff. And when I met the mayor again on the second, you know, visit for something else, he tells me about this. And I'm like, what? what, what? Okay. Okay. Because I was trying to figure out how they was going to like, you know, because everybody that I told about the program was like, give me the number. How you do it? I don't know, I just put it on the internet, put it in a lottery, and they picked me, I guess. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. And, you know, good things happen to people, to those that wait. And I waited. I might have had to wait, like, you know, a couple a year and a half later on, but I had jobs and stuff. But I wanted to, like, be a stay-at-home mom, because when I was working, my daughter was running away, acting out. She don't know me. She just came back home. She came out of a program, Nappy and Pawtucket. Like, 
we're just bouncing like and i'm trying to stay with my income at work but i can't work because but when this pro when i got that phone call i swear it changed everything for the past 10 months since i've been on it right now and this ascended thing i hope they keep this program for everybody i hope everybody in Providence Rhode Island get a chance in this program because it's gonna help it's gonna change anybody five hundred dollars you think about it like five hundred people go out their door they probably spend five hundred dollars a day but when you're poor five hundred dollars is a million dollars to you and my kids are happy i'm happy my daughter my four-year-old's in camp my 16 year old's working at texas row house but she just picked that up last week like trying to help me, but at the end of the day, I got the Wi-Fi bill, I got the little rent, I got the food in the house and stuff. Like, I don't, I don't. Responsibilities, but she sees that, and she, you know, she, she's now she's back on the track. Like a year ago, she was running away, she was acting out because she didn't know me, she didn't know what was going on. And when I say that, I got four kids. I have two boys and two girls. Two boys are open adoption. Two girls are back home because I fought. I never gave up. I'm not giving up on my boys, but at the end of the day, I'll be here when they're ready to ask me them questions. Why did you leave us and you got the girls back? I'm available today. I'm not an addict no more. I'm a recovering addict now. And because of this program, it only gives me time to refocus on the future, go back to school. I want to be a peer specialist. I always had that under me. I always want to help people, not hurt people. So with that being said, out of prison eight years now, doing what I gotta do, and nobody gave me a manual how to be a mom, but I'm being a mom today. It's a priceless gift, and thank you for the program. Thank you, Mayor, for everything. Father Jay, everybody, just thank you so much. Folks, this is, um, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. This is the reparations press conference. They're extending it. Um, and that's it for speakers today. Six I'm sure months. you have questions for some of these folks. So I'll You know, I think that, um, I think we got to remember that, you know, our city is very diverse and there are um, people who are doing I, very well. I can't listen to much more of that. Um, I, folks, I wanted you to hear it though. Um, and again, not trying to be mean. I don't know. Something should be done. A problem with this is number one, for those that don't get it. Number two, it is treated like a lottery and a major problem, and again, as many people know, is it becomes the dependency. It becomes the dependency. It becomes they're used to getting the money. And tragically, unfortunately, then that never goes away. And then they never want to end the program. So it's not a matter. Um, if, if there are individuals, hear me out. If there are individuals that need help with daycare, if there are individuals that need help that they can take more courses, go back, pursue an education, uh, more helping them get a better job. I think could be resources into that. Um, if if there if the, if the people that maybe just need like a little bit of a boost in order to climb up the ladder a little bit more, I am all for that. However, the problem is it, it, just, it shouldn't come from the government. It shouldn't come from taxpayers. More provisions. I'm not even convinced it needs to be money given out. Some of these opportunities. People that 
need a little help. We are very fortunate that we, we do have a lot and provide a lot for people. But, you know, at the same token, I'm looking at this story that, you know, for all of that, and as much as that, that that's a feel good, and the people that are involved with that, so much of that is tied in with that it makes them feel good. It makes them feel good. So, but I'm looking at this story. Actually, I want to just check something right now. I'm looking at hot spots for COVID again. Don't tell me Rhode Island's listed again. <laughs> Are we again another hot spot? Is that what I'm seeing? USA. Uh, is Rhode Island considered a hot spot? Let me just double check. Uh, seven day average. Well, it's shooting way back up again. Listen, we're dealing with it. We're absolutely dealing with it, period. Uh, but it is, it's, it has spiked up a little bit. Okay. Um, he, listen, listen to this story. Prosecutors struggle to catch up to a tidal wave of pandemic fraud. Investigators say there's so much fraud in federal COVID relief programs. Even after two years of work, hundreds of prosecutions, they're just getting started. In the midst of the pandemic, the government gave unemployment benefits to the incarcerated, the imaginary, and the dead. It sent money to farms that turned out to be front yards. Paid people who were on the government's do not pay list gave loans to 342 people who said their name was N slash A, which means not available. As the virus shutter business forced people out of work, the federal government set a flood of relief money into programs aimed at helping newly unemployed and boosting the economy. That included $3 trillion President, President Trump approved in 2020, followed by $2 trillion signed into law by President Biden. But those dollars came with a few strings, minimal oversight. The result, one of the largest frauds in American history, billions stolen by thousands of people including one amateur who boasted of his criminal activity on YouTube. Now prosecutors are trying to catch up. See, this is one of the problems. You know, for all the people that may have said, gee, I don't know if we should we should be giving out all this money. They were drowned out, but what do you mean? You gotta help people, blah, blah, blah. Now the same goes for those that are saying, what, you don't want people to vote? You want to suppress the vote? I'm merely suggesting that all these provisions that they've lifted with voting, it could lead to massive voter fraud. Um, I want to um, also just check. I, um, I recognize there's a lot of noise about the Trump raid. And people are sending me various things. I want to right now one twenty one. I I think I think you just kind of have to wait to see how a lot of this stuff comes out. But no, I don't believe. Now this is interesting. Judged away unsealing affidavit behind a Mar-a-Lago search. Media outlets, Trump supporters were pushed for its release, but the justice it would compromise future investigative steps. Well, one thing that we know would happen 
What do you think it is? Uh, what do you think is going to happen to the individuals? They could be listed that they're cooperating in the investigation. How do you think the uh, the crowd is going to react to them? Think people are going to say, well, you know, we don't know the whole story. I guess we should wait and see. Or do you think they're going to aggressively target them, go after them? Yeah, I think it'd be like feeding them up to the lions. I mean, we already saw what happened in Cincinnati when President Trump said that the FBI may have planted evidence. What happened? Well, some nut showed up with a gun, an AK, and started firing. AR-15 started firing at the FBI outside of Cincinnati. I mean, is that what people are looking for? I, I just, I find it completely crazy. And I, I just, I cannot, people need to get a handle on things. All right, I want to play some sound. Um, I think Laura Ingram's handling of, by the way, President Trump's attorney, this Christina Bob. <clears throat> I mean, you watch. She's going to end up either A, getting charged or disbarred. Because it sure seems, I could be wrong, but it seems like she is the one that that lied and told the government that they no longer had any classified, um, any any classified uh, material. And that, that was wrong. So let me just see this piece. Who is Christina Bob? Uh, FBI agents were confronted by Christina Bob on Monday when they stormed Mar-a-Lago, former anchor of One America, former U.S. Marine. She arrived at the residence at 1030, was told about 24 FBI agents were rummaging through the property. Senior legal representative Trump's case. Um, boom, boom, boom. Let me just, I want info on her. Okay. So she's a Marine, and she was on One America. Here is Christina Bob. Um, I just want her background a little bit. Uh, let's see. Bob worked at One America since June of 2020, covered the White House, eventually became a news anchor for the weekly briefing show. Um, she started volunteering to help the legal team, assisted with the effort to overturn the 2020 election. We know how that went. Big Trump supporter. Um, in March, she quit a job at One America to work for Save America. Uh, let's see. Her work includes election integrity. She was, um... Employed as the executive secretary for the Department of Homeland Security. And she clerked at the Office of Legal Counsel for the White House Office of National Drug Policy. She has a master's in law from Georgetown. Was a judge advocate in the U.S. Marines. Um, so, listen, this all sounds impressive. But she's also 36 years old. There are more experienced attorneys in Washington, and I think President Trump would be better served (laughs) to to hire some of them. 
because otherwise I just I, and you watch she's the one I think she's going to get in trouble she's the one that told the government the DOJ that they had returned all the documents and that was proven to be false now we'll find out on Thursday with uh, attorney um our legal expert attorney, Tim Dodd, of what is the penalty when you mislead people. Now, there's another Trump attorney, Alina Hobb. She was on Newsmax. She wants the Department of Justice to release the names of the witnesses who help secure the search warrant for Mar-a-Lago. That is a dangerous game they're playing. Let's listen to her. What I would advise him is to ask them to uncover everything so that we can see what is going on. I understand the witness protection issue, but at the same time, these witnesses are truly not going to be um, concealed for very long. That's just not the nature of the DOJ and the FBI, and unfortunately, our country. There's always leaks. You know, I, I've dealt with that even with um, you know local law enforcement. There's leaks when there shouldn't be. So I think it's in the best interest so that the com- country can get comfortable to see what the basis was, especially from somebody who is cooperating, who was working with them with his attorneys. Um, this is not a, a reason to be blindsided. The president's position, the same as now, what I would advise him. I, we'll, we'll find out from attorney Tim Dodd what he his take on all of that. Now, I want to, um, I also want to play Governor DeSantis talked about teacher recruitment in Florida. Let me play some of this. We banned the masks in Florida um, uh, with, with the legislature, with the Paris Bill of Rights and, and, and other actions. But, you know, the reality is that was not grounded in data. It was not grounded in evidence. It was basically the current thing. You know, people would put in their Twitter profile a mask and a, and a, and a syringe, and that was like their identity. And it was ridiculous. They lied to us about the mRNA shots. They said, if you take it, you will not get COVID. That is false. That is not true. And they continue to say, even now, when the evidence is so overwhelming, uh, that not only is that not true, people that have multiple boosters, you know, you're, at, you're definitely at risk of getting it. There's no question about that. So, so it's just time and time again, I think you've seen ideology placed over, over data and evidence. And then what happens is, is that they will say something like, okay, Six weeks of masks will end COVID. So that's what they claim. It doesn't happen. And then what they'll do is they will kind of move the goalposts and say, well, you know, only 95% wore it. So now, and they will constantly uh, try to shift because they will never admit that their ideology was, was incorrect. So that's very, very dangerous when you're looking at all these things. So that's a problem with our society that we're grappling with. And what I've said in the state of Florida, because we've taken on woke corporations, we've taken on ESG. Obviously, in the classroom, we've battled a lot of ideologies. But what I've said is that the state of Florida is the state, uh, is the place where woke goes to die. Uh, We are not going to let this state, we're not going to let this state descend into some type of woke dumpster fire. We're going to be following (laughs) common sense. We're going to be following, um, you know, facts. And that's just really, really important. So anyways, thank you guys for being here. God bless. I'll tell you, he is certainly someone to watch. He is someone to watch. For 24. The other person to watch is also uh, the governor of the governor of Virginia, that Glenn Youngkin. 
Um, I want to go through some more sound. You know, another um, um, that that the general treasurer's race in that primary that's going on right now. That uh, that James Diosa. The fact that he, I think, is starting to um, pull back and won't do any more debates has to do with all these ridiculous trips that he was taking. Uh, completely unnecessary trips. So, so Channel 12 did the debate with them. Stephen Pryor against the former mayor of Central Falls, James Diosa. And I normally wouldn't play it, but it's one of those races that it could be under the radar a little bit. Um, people need to, you know, and I'll be the first one. It's not a, it's glamorous in the two Democrats. There is a Republican in that race, but it's definitely something to watch. And that, that James Diosa, he, that guy should not, should not emerge from this whole thing victorious. I mean, that is, it's embarrassing how many trips this guy went on. Now, it's too bad. Channel 12 didn't seemingly have the information when they were conducting the debate. So I want to dip in a little bit. This is the Democrats going for a general treasurer. Back to basics, which I agree with. Second is is ensuring that uh, the, the, the taxpayers are being protected, and more importantly, ensuring that uh, the pension fund is on track to meet that 80%. Mr. Mr. Pryor, uh, you heard him there. He wants to stay the course and wait till the uh, fund, maybe a stipend in there, hits 80% before the coal is uh, kick in. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, I, I think that uh, we need someone in charge of the pension fund who's going to grow that fund. And I think I'm the candidate to do that. My goal would be to restore benefits, uh, some of the benefits that were lost during pension reform, but to do so very, so very responsibly. And what that means is we need to look up and down, uh, back and forth within the portfolio of investments and see which components are performing and which ones are not on the data, on the data. Uh, multiple recent treasurers have done a good job of getting us to the point where we have fund stability. But if there are components of the fund that are not performing as well, we need to well, remove Mr. them. Mr. Pryor, the question isn't about pension fund investments. The question is, should COLAs kick in prior to the fund reaching 80%? Yes or that, no? No, that's, my, that's precisely my point. If we can make the fund perform on an accelerated basis, we can get ahead of the 2031 deadline or opportunity to increase COLAs. And we can get uh, more quickly to something like 80% coverage. We're at 58% coverage right now. We have a little distance to go. I would be the treasurer. I will be the treasurer who will help our fund perform better. That will be a goal of mine. Now, if there are opportunities where there are surpluses and the working with the governor and the General Assembly, we see fit to see uh, increased contributions to the pension fund as a method of getting there faster. That's another way. So I would look to increase benefits responsibly. Okay. All right. Our colleague Eli Sherman has been reporting on the rising cost to taxpayers of the proposed Pawtucket Soccer Stadium, now estimated at $60 million in public money. Mr. Pryor, you negotiated in the initial version of this stadium deal. You were heavily involved, though you did leave before the final vote at Commerce on uh, this new version. At one point, you said this project would pay for itself. We now know the estimated tax revenue the stadium is going to bring in is estimated that it will come nowhere near high enough. 
to cover the cost of borrowing to help build the stadium. At a time when around are struggling to pay for gas, to pay for rent, why should they be seeing $60 million of their money put into a soccer stadium? Uh, well, the, the question still remains, can this project pay for itself? But we need to look at it the right way. The project is not just the stadium. It's also revitalization in Pawtucket surrounding the, the stadium on both sides of the river. So what we have to make sure of is that the elements of the framework of the deal that did pass the Commerce Corporation are fully fleshed out and fully implemented. Those elements include not paying for the stadium until it's completely built so it does serve as a catalyst to the sur surrounding area. Second, ensuring that the team stays, the professional soccer team, and plays for 30 years or there are penalties. And most important, Ted, most important, there ought to be accountability to the developer. The developer should be held accountable for hitting benchmarks on producing commercial office, residential units, parking and other infrastructure on both sides of the river that will lead to vitality and will also lead to tax revenue, which will ensure that the project can pay for itself. But you but know, only you know that we've talked about this before, that what just happened is money that was supposed to help fund that next phase, which is why the stadium is supposed to help create, has been moved to the stadium, which means more public money could be asked for next year. Are you, are you going to support, if you're the treasurer, putting more public money into this Tidewater project after it, $60 million is on for just the stadium? If it's merited, this was the wise way to do it. This method ensured that we only utilize funds that were only that were already authorized no new taxpayer money and the stadium gets done now it looks like the economy is headed into choppy waters we could have a recession then again by the time that we're building out some of the components of the peripheral of the auxiliary development we could be in good economic times the product could stand on its own two feet. We may not have to subsidize components of the project. So you don't want to prejudge and pre-subsidize. That would be unwise. Would I support surgical insertion of bargained for subsidy, hard bargained for, to make sure that the taxpayers see a direct return if there's an upside, if there's a profit, and to make sure that it's absolutely necessary? Yes, but again, we should only judge based upon a fully defined project where there's been hard bargaining towards that goal. Mr. Giosa, do you think $60 million of state taxpayer money should be going into a minor league soccer stadium? Look, I, I, I said this uh, many times that, you know, it was a difficult loss for the Blackstone Valley when the Paw Sox left. You know, people were really hoping for this investment so that it could spur more economic development. You know, the Blackstone Valley doesn't get these types of investments every year or every uh, 10 years, right? And so this is an important investment into the this local economy that's seeing a brand new train station being built. And look, the World Cup is coming back in 2026, and there's going to be a lot of economic uh, investment being done to, to bring up the sport of soccer. And so I think it's going to be a good investment. I, I give credit to Governor McKee and his leadership and also Mayor Grebian uh, for sticking strong with this project. Is there any limit, though, to how much public money you think should go Look, toward the I, overall Tidewater project? I think then? the biggest thing is, is, is not only having the soccer stadium, but the apartment component is important because, as you know, we have a very short stock of, of, of apartment and housing. And I know that the other piece that's going to help out a lot is the commercial piece of it, which is important for the taxpayers as well. But that, so, as we just discussed, money for that piece has now been put into just the stadium, and they've indicated I, they expect to need more I money. Have, Will you support have, more money? I have full faith in the leadership 
and the team that they're going to make this project work. They're anxious. They want to get the ball rolling right away. And I know that this project is going to benefit the Blackstone Valley and the state uh, as a whole. But do you support more money next year? I support the, the current project as it is right now. Again, the biggest piece to this is building housing, building commercial, and all the activity that's going to happen around the stadium. And so do you support putting more taxpayer money in if necessary no, to do that? Again, we haven't got to that stadium. point yet. But as of right now, we need to get the ball rolling because we want to see this project go online as soon as possible. All right, I'm going to do a rapid-fire section here. This is a half-hour debate. It goes by quick. I'm looking generally for one or two-word answers well, on this. Two so gems going through through general topics pressure. quickly, Mr. Dioso, what letter grade would you give for Seth Magaziner's uh, job performance as uh, treasurer? So I, I, I give him an A. Uh, I work very closely with him. As give him an A, uh, Mr. Pryor? I, I'd give him an A as well. He's done a superb job. All right. What do you think, Mr. Pryor, about a letter grade for Gina Raimondo's tenure as treasurer? As treasurer, well, she was facing enormously tough times. So I, I'd say considering all of those, I, I'd give her high marks. I'd have to look at her, her total record, but I'd give her high marks as well. High marks? I'd give, her, I'd give her an A. All right. Uh, and Mr. Diosa, as treasurer, you would sit on the board of the Rhode Island Student Loan Authority. Would you support or oppose forgiving all student loan debt nationally? Look, I support it. I, I, I still have student loans myself. More importantly, I would use my voice on the Rhode Island Student Loan Authority to Imagine look if this at guy shortage becomes a shortage of uh, public safety officials, uh, health care officials, teachers, to see if there's a way to attract people into this profession. You would, you would, support, you would support forgiving student loan debt. Mr. Pryor, do you agree? Disagree? I, I would support if we have the revenue for the purpose. I'd also add that I would support new investments if we have the revenue early in a child's life to help start the savings process towards either college or job training on, on a non-college route. Okay, we're going to do a pop quiz section of rapid fire now. Uh, again, the state pension job, as we said, is, is number, number one. And having a grasp on how the state invests its $10 billion is very important. Mr. Diosa, look, I'm not looking for an answer down to the decimal point, but roughly, what percentage of the pension fund is invested in U.S. equities as of this spring? It's at 55%. Is he right, uh, Mr. Pryor? Um, U.S. equities, I, I, I don't know the precise percentage. Okay, uh, it is 22.1% uh, as of June. Mr. Pryor, roughly what percentage of the pension fund is invested in hedge funds, again, as of this spring? It's about 7% in hedge funds. Is he right, uh, Mr. Diosa? I, I know that Treasury Magazine has been moving away from hedge funds and high fees. Is he right about 7%? I, I believe that the Treasury has moved away from hedge funds. All right, uh, so you're not answering that. It's 7.3%. Uh, Mr. Mr. Diosa, finally, what is the projected rate of return for the Rhode Island pension system currently? 7%. Is he right? It is. It's 7% projected approximately. Ted, let's continue to talk about the pension fund because it's so vital to this job. And Mr. Parr, I'm going to start with you on this one. Some states and localities around the country use part of their state pension fund to invest money in local companies, local projects, etc. Would you, would you consider steering some of the $10 billion in the pension fund to specific local investments? And if so, which ones? I would consider a policy that favors Rhode Island very, Folks, in a very careful manner and an incremental Democrats manner, but I do think we should go in that direction. Here's what I mean, Ted. So there are the states with very healthy funds that do have sub-funds that fund locally. Wisconsin's an example. I think we need to study some reference points around the country and see how they do it. I will say this. We're only at 58% coverage of our fund. We're still emerging from some really challenging moments earlier, about a decade ago, in our, in our pension fund. We have to make sure we keep the returns high for our valued retirees, firefighters, and teachers, and all our public servants. So 
I would I would look first to investing in the sectors where Rhode Island is excelling. A good example is clean energy, sectors. where we are the nation's pioneer in offshore wind. If we invest further in the sector across the country and world, a lot of that benefit is going to go to Rhode Island. And I'll tell you one last thing. I would do an initial survey of what percentage of our assets are already Rhode Island and see how we compare against the other 49 states and how have they gotten to a higher percentage. I would start with sector-based strategies and then look to examples like Wisconsin so as not to sacrifice the rate of return. Mr. Jones, the same question. Would you look to put any portion of the $10 billion into local investments? And if so, which ones? Like the last thing uh, uh, pensioners want to hear about is how they're being invested uh, in, in Rhode Island if it's not making sense for them. Point being is, I witnessed firsthand how pensions were mismanaged in Central Falls Get rid of the pensions. and how retirees got slashed 50%. And so to answer your question, I'm going to leave it up to the Chief Investment Officer and the State Investment Commission and the portfolio managers to make sure that we have the fiduciary responsibility of making the right investments so that we have the best returns for the fund, not only for tomorrow, but for 30 years out. What do you think, though, of this idea Mr. Pryor has of, of looking to shift it to have some sort of focus on Rhode Island? He said potentially sectors as opposed to you know specific investments here. Uh, again, uh, my responsibility uh, is a fiduciary one. I'm going to talk to our Chief Investment Office, the State Investment Commission. If it makes sense and it doesn't compromise the fund, I would move in that direct direction. But again, uh, the Treasurer doesn't solely move uh, the funds uh, just with his authority. You have to uh, have the approval of the State Investment Commission. And if it's the right one, we'll move in that direction. If I can, if I can interject this. I think uh, the green energy area is a particularly good one to think about because I think we may be able to, in concert with investment professionals, decide which direction the market is going and where does that coincide where, with where Rhode Island is already strong and make investments in the sector, again, nationally and across the globe. So clean energy is a good example. Even fossil fuel companies, legacy companies, are moving towards green energy. If we invest in the green energy portfolios, we may win on all fronts, including on the Rhode Island front. I'll give you a brief response, then we'll move on. Mr. Yes, look, I, I, I know that pensioners, after the changes uh, that they had in 2013, are very concerned. All they want to know is that their pension is being invested correctly, that their returns are coming back as they should be. And, and you know, my responsibility is to them, not only the pensioners, the actors, but the taxpayers. So I'm going to do what's right and correct and make sure that retirees are having the best quality of life in Rhode Island. Folks at home have heard throughout the debate why both of you think that you are qualified to become a general treasurer uh, and why you think you're the right choice for the job. But why is your opponent wrong for the job? Mr. Pryor, is Mr. Diosa qualified no. to run the state treasury? Well, I'm going to leave it up to the voters to decide who's qualified. Um, I think that I'm best positioned to manage the pension fund because I've managed billions of dollars at that scale. And the example in the intro, you referenced this, Tim. Uh, I was um, uh, blessed to be, it was challenging, but drawn into service at uh, the World Trade Center site to help rebuild after September 11th. There were billions of dollars of public funds that flowed. And of course, we've all seen the result, which is a rebuilt set of commercial spaces in the place where the towers stood, a beautiful memorial, and a more vital financial center. That's the kind of work that I do, which is to say to responsibly invest billions of dollars and get the job done. Uh, and I put myself up against my opponent in that I've been able to get that kind of job done at that scale. And here in Rhode Island, 
I've helped to manage and coordinate billions of dollars of investment, public and private, through my job as Commerce Secretary for seven okay. and a half years. Sorry, Mr. Diosa, he's putting his resume up against yours. Do you think your opponent is qualified? Look, I'm the only candidate that's actually managed pensions. I manage a city out of bankruptcy. I know exactly uh, how to do it. I've sat with portfolio, uh, portfolio managers and actuarials every year to make sure that our, our investments were moving in the right direction. Uh, look, the, even at my time as mayor, in eight years, I worked very closely with Seth Magaziner to move our pension fund into the state system. It went so well that West Warwick follows suit. Uh, I worked to lay the ground the groundwork for a new high school through the, uh, the, the investments of, of uh, Treasure Magaziner's office for new schools. And the Rhode Island Infrastructure Bank is a program that, that the city of Central Falls has benefited from. I mean, these are all programs that I've had real experience with, and I think that's why it makes me uniquely qualified to be general trustee. If you'll permit, Mayor, I do have a question about that. Mm -hmm. um, I understand that you're citing your experience in Central Falls. That is where you serve as mayor. I do wonder, though, um, a couple things. First of all, uh, the, the cuts that occurred to pensioners were significant. Even once that migration happened to the MERS system, to the state, uh, the, the pre-existing pensioners were at 25% lower benefits. And, Mayor, I have to point out also that the ultimate solution was giving up the system and giving it away to the state. As state treasurer, you don't have an option like that. You don't have an option where you can give it away to somebody else to manage it. You've got to directly manage it. How do you think right. your experience really compares in that way? Okay, Mr. Diaz, a response. My experience is that I've actually managed pensions. My opponent hasn't. All he's done is have a position in New York, Rhode Island, where it's the same thing, commerce. Uh, secretary, where all he did was wine and dine with CEOs and cut deals. I had to manage a pension that really impacted people, such as firefighters, police officers. And again, it took me uh, uh, to convince the legislature, Folks, the public these, unions. One of these two are going to win the Democrat primary. This is treasurer. the right move, not only uh, because uh, we will be investing in a bigger pool of funds, but it's better managed with experts. And it gives peace and tranquility for future generations of workers to know that their pension is being managed so that don't, we don't live through the same experience that Central Falls. Now, I want to, um, folks, and again, good afternoon. You're listening to The John DePietro Show, 1 a.m. 1380 and 99.9 FM. Right now it's uh, 147. Um, <coughs> boy, I would love to hear someone say, uh, we're going to get rid of the pensions. And everyone is going to be enrolled in a 401k. Uh, this is ridiculous that there even still is a state or city pension system. It shouldn't work that way. It used to be the whole reason they had it, especially with the state, a lot of these jobs, it didn't pay a lot. And so it was, okay, you know, there's not a lot of room to move up. And there's a low ceiling on how much you can earn, but you have job security, and then when you retire, you get a pension. Now, a lot of these state jobs, people leave the private sector. They're leaving private companies to go work for the state. There's no reason to offer them a pension. This portion of the John DePietro Show at 148, folks, it's brought by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. A great meal is waiting for you at the Lodge, and on a day like today, you could certainly uh, sit outside and um, have a nice lunch out on the deck. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. I want to um, just sum up. Folks, visit the website, petro.com. A couple of things. Now, number one, 
I'm not saying I support Liz Cheney. I think she's finished after today. I don't think she should have gone after the president in that manner. And she is going to face a reckoning because of that. However, there was a time I was a, a believer in her dad. I thought the Cheney-Bush team was a good team for the country. And so I, I also wouldn't underestimate the popularity that she has with maybe some uh, moderate type of Republicans or independents, maybe bring them under the, the tent, so to speak. But I want to address, I got an email of someone saying that they think that the FBI raid in Mar-a-Lago is a witch hunt. I, you need to step back for a minute. Wherever you're getting your information, you're, you're not dealing in reality. They're talking about top secret classified documents. I don't know why they were there. We don't know the whole thing. There's more that we don't know than we know. There are informants attached to this affidavit. So there's someone that's cooperating or people that are cooperating. Um, there's definitely a dispute where some attorney for President Trump. Now, there's two female attorneys that have been on the news as of late. And then there's even he had Steve Bannon's attorney. So somebody told the government they had handed over all the classified information. Obviously, that's an error because they, they, they took a lot of boxes out of there. So I don't know what it's all about, but the charging documents are, are very serious, as we've said. A witch hunt. Who came out with that? That is such a bad talking point. A witch hunt. No, it's not a witch hunt. It may be a misunderstanding. I don't know how. There's definitely some communication. But anyone that says that, you, you have a very low opinion of law enforcement. You certainly have a low opinion of the FBI, which I don't share. Are you saying there's no such thing as... I'm not saying there's no such thing as a corrupt FBI agent. There's no such thing... Uh, there are corrupt politicians. There are corrupt... Members of zoning boards. There are corrupt town council people. There are corrupt reps. There are corrupt police and fire. Keep going down the list. There are, I'm sure, scams at HUD. Individuals. <clears throat> there was definitely corruption. It has been corruption at the Rhode Island State House. But to think that they just went in there on a whim. Somebody signed off on it. This is, let me, let me just explain something. This is the blanking FBI we're talking about. You, you're like, there's sometimes the people are out of their league. They have the surveillance photo from Mar-a-Lago. They knew what they were looking for. This has been going back and forth. It sounds like it could have been resolved. I don't know what was in the boxes. I don't know why he had the boxes. I noticed that a lot of the people that are saying things like witch hunt, the FBI is corrupt. I, and I, I know that they can't answer the question of why President Trump had the boxes because they don't know the answer. Because President Trump hasn't said why he had the boxes. President Trump hasn't done any interviews. I don't think he should have called Merrick Garland and basically threatened him. Saying bad things are going to happen. Maybe I can help you cool things down. I don't think that this attorney, Christina Bob, now she may be the one. 
that told the government officials that they'd given everything. I, 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 people that start saying there's nothing there, it's a witch hunt, they're just trying to get him. The problem with that, and I warn you against it, and I would imagine everyone listening is an adult, but the problem with that is you then start to only look for things that are going to back up your ridiculous assertion. And the problem is there, there will be people who will accommodate you. Things like the Epic Times, Gateway Pundit, InfoWars, Tulsi Gabbard, and some of these others. They will provide you. It won't make sense. It won't stand up. But I come back to, you know, there were people that were saying after 2020 that Mike Flynn had an good authority, Homeland Security. There was a seal on every ballot. They were going to expose all this corruption, and then nothing happened. People said he's going to show all the fraud. Sid Powell has it. Rudy Giuliani has it. Mike Flynn, they're going to show it. There's no way Biden will ever take office, and Biden took office. Well, there's no way he's going to step aside. Harris will be president by Memorial Day. And then Memorial Day came and went. And then Harris will be president by Labor Day. And that was last year. Mike Lindell was saying, President Trump will be back in the office by August, and it's lost time, but he's just going to, have to fill out the term. <clears throat> and obviously, that has not happened. So Giuliani is about to be indicted in Georgia. I don't know what's in those boxes. I don't know why you'd hold on to those boxes. I'm also, folks, I, and I, I recognize some of the people. I'm not going to be able to reach you. I'm not going to be able to convince you. But... I'm always, you got to be cautious of a moving explanation timeline. It started out that they were saying the FBI planted evidence. Okay. But they never shut off the feed on Mar-a-Lago. You don't know that the FBI was also filming the whole thing. I know people, let's see it. Let's see. Police have body cams. Let's, this is an investigation going on. People just are making things up as they go along. There's, there's, do you think that President Trump is a spy? I, I didn't say he's a spy. No one can provide an explanation of what was in those boxes or why he had those boxes because he has not provided it. So therefore, you don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. And because people don't know, they start saying it's a witch hunt. They're out to get him. The FBI is corrupt. That was Hunter Biden was there at the like. This is going on to Lunacyville. And that Marjorie Taylor Greene nonsense, defund the FBI. You know, you sound like sound like an idiot, and it sounds like the BLM people saying at the summer of 2020. What, what was in the boxes? We don't know. Because it's highly classified, we may never know. That's not easy. It's not. So far, I think the reporting on this has been solid. What makes me uncomfortable is the moving explanation. What about the, the whatabouts go nowhere? The whatabouts go nowhere. What, what is in those boxes and who's cooperating? Do they have, I'm going to go step farther. Do they have surveillance? Do they have communication? Do they have someone who is meeting with someone else that was promising contents of the boxes? 
You don't know that. Are the Saudis involved? Was someone trying to broker a deal? The Saudis, let's just be very clear about something at 157. The value of some of that classified information is worth billions of dollars, not millions. These aren't mementos of throwing out the first pitch somewhere. Saudis and others may pay billions for it. So don't pretend that doesn't have any value. It does. Do they have an informant? Do they have surveillance? Do they have audio of someone trying to broker a deal? Did someone flip that said they had access to some of the information contained in those boxes? And that they would sell it to Russia or Saudi Arabia for a certain price? I, I, I don't Here's the thing. I don't know, but I know that the Gateway Pundit and Kitelsi Gabbard and the rest of them that they also don't know. So, no, the FBI is not a corrupt organization. And you have to step back. Hunter Biden was not there leading everyone in. It, it is, listen, it's frustrating. You're going to watch, you want to know how it's frustrating? Watch how this, quote, election is going to be held in Rhode Island just in the next couple of weeks. The last thing it's going to be is a fair election. Our elections are not legitimate. I would like to see more of a focus on that. Folks, at 159, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Stop in. They're waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. I will be doing Facebook Live later. Folks, visit the website, depetro.com. Uh, I will have more on the voting. You watch. Mark my words, over the next couple of weeks, the confusion, the ability for voter fraud, it's all been increased. On this, people can do whatever they want, but people announcing these are witch hunts. You don't even know what they have. That is a fool's errand. That's that's like, you know, who's, but with, you don't know who's playing in the game and you're announcing who you think's going to win. It's a joke. All right, listen, enjoy this Tuesday. We're back tomorrow at 11 on the radio. Stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news.